Welcome. This is JHE Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries, and I'm glad to have you listening today. In our study of the book of James, we are finally in the last chapter of James with chapter 5. We'll finish this chapter and finish our study of the book of James today. From here, we'll begin our study with the book of Luke, one of the four Gospels written by Luke. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to chapter 5, verse 3 of the book of James, and let's get started. Your gold and silver are corroded, and the corrosion will be a witness against you, will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of a slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, and the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now that is the reading of the rest of chapter 5 of James. So let's begin with verse 3. An obvious form of wealth and gold was gold and silver. And this is said to have become corroded. Now, since gold and silver does not rust or even corrode, James must refer to the tarnished metal, the tarnish indicating how long the hoarded wealth had lain idle. James warns the rich, the corrosion will testify against you. It witnessed to the greed and selfishness of these wicked men who had far more than they could ever use, while their workers were deprived of their wages. The idea that the corrosion will eat the flesh of the, of the rich like fire is a graphic way of declaring that their greed 
will result in their own destruction, as if the corrosion that ate the riches actually will eat the very flesh. Now, James's statement that the rich had hoarded or heaped up wealth in the last days shows that he had the future judgment in mind. The New Testament regards the whole period between Christ's first and second comings as the last time or the last days. In comparison with the preparatory days of the Old Testament, this is the last period before Christ comes to set up his kingdom and to judge all people. It was even in the last hour, as it were, before Christ comes to judge that the rich hoarded wealth. In verse 4, James gives us the second crime that the rich are charged with, which is that they failed to pay the workmen who harvested their crops. Now here James vividly pictures the unpaid wages, still in possession of the unscrupulous rich farmers, as continually accusing them of their dishonesty. It was as though the very coins had cried out the guilt. The harvesters complained about their treatment, and their complaints reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or Lord Almighty. God heard their cries, and as he always hears the voice of his suffering people. Now the title Sabaoth, Sabaoth is a Hebrew word that means the hosts of heaven, which is the biblical title of the Lord God. Sometimes you may hear it referred to as the Lord of Hosts. In 1 Samuel, the designation referred to the armies of Israel. And in 2 Chronicles, it referred to God's angels. And then in Deuteronomy, it referred to all the stars. Now, God is Lord of the armies of the earth. He's the God of all the angelic armies and of all the starry hosts. God is almighty, and he will vindicate his suffering people in due time. Now we have arrived at verse 5, and we now are introduced to the third charge against the rich, which is that they have lived in pleasure or self-indulgence and luxury. These words are cinema, synonyms, though there is a shade of difference between them. The word luxury tends to demoralize, and self-indulgence or pleasure describes extravagant and wasteful self-gratifications. These words have immoral associations. In their unrestrained indulgence, the rich had fattened, if you will, themselves for the day of slaughter which is a designation of the day of judgment, kind of like a farmer or rancher will fatten their cattle before slaughter. See, James used graphic imagery to indicate that the rich are on the brink of judgment. They're like cattle, completely unaware of their impending destruction. And James liked using these kind of analogies so that people would understand more of the depth meaning behind this. Now, looking at verse 6, the final crime of the wicked rich was that they had murdered innocent men. 
In chapter 2, the rich are accused of dragging believers into court. Here they are charged as murderers. This is not to be taken figuratively, but literally. Examples are Christ, Stephen, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and then later James, the author of this book himself. By innocent or righteous, James has in mind the class of people known as the righteous believers who came largely from the ranks of the poor. The rich were guilty of attacking not merely a righteous person, but a person who was defenseless or and or who refused to fight back. Now getting into verse 7, we're going to have miscellaneous exhortations. And exhortations mean urging or encouragement. Concerning patience is what we'll be discussing in verses 7 through 11. This exhortation concerning patience is built around three illustrations. The first one is the farmer that we will read about in verses 7 through 9. The second one is the prophets that will be in verse 10. And then in verse 11, we'll have the last one, which is Job. Now, in verse 7, this exhortation is addressed to brethren or brothers, indicating that James is turning his attention from the unbelieving rich back to the believing Jewish Christians to whom the letter was sent. The word therefore or then suggests that the oppression of the righteous poor, which was described in verses uh, 1 through 6, is what gives rise to the message of verses 7 through 11. James has just warned the oppressing rich of the coming judgment, and now he encourages the oppressed poor to be patient. This verb describes the attitude of self-restraint that does not try to get even for a wrong that has been done. It usually represents long-suffering patience towards persons rather than things. So James calls for a patience toward the rich oppressors that will last until the Lord's coming. Now, coming was a common term used to describe the visit of a king to a city or to a providence of his kingdom, and thus depicts Christ as a royal personage. The first illustration of patience is that of the farmer who waits patiently for the fall and the spring rains. Back in ancient times in Palestine, the early rains came in October and November, soon after the grain had been sown. The latter rains came in April and May as the grain was maturing. Now, both rainy seasons were necessary if you were to have a successful crop. And knowing this, the farmer was willing to wait patiently until both rains came and provided the needed moisture. And as we get into verse 8, with the words, you too be patient or you also be patient, James applies the illustration of the patient farmer. In addition, he urges his readers to establish or to strengthen your hearts or to stand firm. This expression has the idea of providing solid support 
of establishing a person, and thus of enabling one to stand unmoved by trouble. The reason given for standing firm is, again, that the Lord's coming is near the day when things will be set right, and it's imminent. This confident expectation will make the faint heart strong. In verse 9, the believers must be patient towards both outsiders who oppress them and also insiders who irritate them. Christians are not to grumble against each other. This verb, often meaning sigh or groan, speaks of inner distress rather than open complaints. What is forbidden here is not the loud and bitter denunciation of others, but the unexpressed feeling of bitterness or the smothered resentment that may express itself in a groan or a sigh. For them to continue that hateful practice would result in judgment. And the judge is represented as standing at the door of his hand, with his hand on the latch, ready to enter at any time. And of course, the judge, of course, will be Christ. Now here in verse 10, the second illustration of patience is that of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. In their position as God's representatives, they experienced affliction and responded to it with long-suffering patience. Although James refers to the prophets as a group, Jeremiah certainly stands out as one who endured mistreatment with patience. He was put in the stocks that we read about in Jeremiah chapter 20. He was thrown into prison in chapter 32. And in chapter 38 of Jeremiah, he was lowered into a miry dungeon. Yet Jeremiah persisted in his ministry without bitterness or accusation. Now, such men constitute an example for believers who are oppressed and mistreated. Now getting us into verse 11 is the third illustration, which is Job. Those who have persevered or endured are considered blessed. Now no doubt James has in mind his words back in chapter 1, where he points out the desired joy of the person who does not cave under trial. In chapter 5, the plea for, is for patience, for self-restraint that does not retaliate. But here in chapter 5, James is referring to perseverance in difficult circumstances. It is significant that James speaks of Job's perseverance, not his patience, for despite the popular phrase, the patience of Job, he hardly exemplified that quality. He was, however, an outstanding example of perseverance in the most trying situations. His experience also was proof that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, as we see in what the Lord finally brought about or intended for him. God gave him twice as much as he had before. To sum up in verses 7 through 11, James is urging his readers not to fight back, but to exercise long-suffering patience towards the rich who oppress them, and he's calling for stout-hearted perseverance in the trying circumstances 
that confront them. Now quickly, I want to get through verse 12. Unfortunately, I don't think we are going to get through James today because we are starting to run out of time. But I quickly want to go over verse 12 with the time remaining uh, because now it's concerning oaths. And here in verse 12, James next places special emphasis on the prohibition of oaths with the use of, above all my brethren, do not swear. As we saw in verse 9, the grammatical construction shows that the use of oaths was an existing practice that ought to be discontinued. James is echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, which forbids swearing altogether. It should be obvious that what is referred to in Matthew and James is the light, casual use of oaths in informal conversations, not the formal oaths in such places such as courts of law and the like. God himself is said to have taken an oath in Psalm chapter 110, and Paul sometimes called God to witness as found in 2 Corinthians and also in, in Galatians. Rather than employing an oath to convince people that a statement is true, Christians should let their yes be yes and their no, no. That is, they should be honest in all their speech so that when they make an affirmation or denial, people will know it is unquestionably the truth. In the careless use of oaths, people are in danger of taking God's name in vain, for which they will come under judgment for that. Now, next time we'll get into verse 13, we will finish James and get into Luke. But we will be getting into specific needs concerning prayer for next time. The passage on prayer will fall into two sections, and we'll discuss that next time. So until next time, God bless each and every one of you, and keep living Christian strong.